Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Backpack Broadcasting continues to bring you the best original sports content, but now you can get more of the content you love. For as little as $3 a month, you can get access to bonus content, including behind-the-scenes footage and interviews from the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, or the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. All this exclusive content comes via Patreon. There are tiered levels of patronage, and each Backpack Broadcasting patron receives exclusive perks. Your support helps Backpack Broadcasting create more of the original content that you love. Visit Backpack Broadcasting's Patreon page and become patron today ain't hard to tell podcast episode 171, Dexter Henry, Brian Fonseca here, and we got a guest that we have been wanting to get on for a long time. Uh, it's my first time meeting him, but I've known about his work for quite some time through Brian. It's Julio Ricardo Varela, sorry, I almost messed up the last name, strong, okay, la- strong Latino name, which I like, strong Latino <laughs> name, my brother, strong Latino name. He is the uh, media editorial director of, he's the editorial director, excuse me, of Futuro Media. He's also the founder of Latino Rebels, and he's also the co-host of a really dope podcast called In the Thick Podcast. It really talks about a lot of culture, Latino issues, and how that correlates to America and the racism that comes around being in America, being a minority, as we all know. All of that. Julio, welcome, man. How you doing, brother? I am so excited to be on with you, uh, both of you. I'm such an honor. I, I'm so glad I said yes. Oh, yeah, man. For Absolutely. sure. Like yeah. I, and Julio, I for full disclosure, I have sent uh some of your podcast stuff to Dex. I was like, yo, you have to hear some of the stuff that that you and you and Maria do on In the Thick. Uh, you know, I really appreciate, obviously, you know, as a fan of the show that you've come onto our platform. Oh no, this is important. You know, one of the things that people get this misperception about when you're podcasting, and especially when you're like quote unquote, you know. You know, you have a popular podcast. It's like you gotta, you can't forget where you come from, right? I started mm-hmm. as an independent, like blogger and podcaster, and I did my own, like my own thing. And you gotta, like, one of the big, biggest important things about like giving back is you gotta give back. You gotta say yes. I'm all for independent media creation, like because I, I can't even deal with like the mainstream anymore. So <laughs> I'd rather talk to you, Dex and Brian, any day. Oh, oh man, that's, that's where we're gonna start. That, that, <laughs> yeah, that that is start. where we're gonna start because we talk a lot about that exactly, um, mm-hmm. Julio, on this podcast. And I, I, let's start with you first in that, right? Because you've kind of got your start on the independent route, which I'm very much uh, accustomed to as well too. And Brian's done a lot in that avenue. Tell the people how you got your start in in journalism, especially in this country, Julio, 
where sometimes the avenues for our Latino brothers and sisters haven't always been there as they should be. So, you know, it's interesting. I, um, so I got, I, I started in journalism back in the day in like college, right? So I got into Harvard and I was like, all right. And I actually, to be honest with you, had a much better experience in the Bronx in high school, uh, where I was, you know, where I went to, um, I went to a Jesuit high school, Fordham prep, Fordham prep? Uh, okay. in the Bronx, which is like, you know, and I, and they got me ready. So when I got to like, when I was like, oh my God, I got to like the school, um, I actually gravitated to journalism because um, I've always wanted to be a sports writer. So, so I was born originally in Puerto Rico. I grew up in Puerto Rico and then my, my parents split and I moved to the Bronx and my biggest connection to just feeling like I was in a new place was the daily news um, sports section back in the day, like Mike Lupica, Bill Gallo. And I was, and I became a really huge Knicks fan. Um, like the Knicks, and I'm talking like Bernard King, like on channel nine yeah. in the eighties. Yeah. And Bernard King was like dropping 50. Like I remember when he dropped 50 against the Nets and I was like, I love the Knicks. And I loved Patrick. And even though I was the same Johnson, when Patrick Ewing became a Nick, I was like, oh my God, we got him. So I grew up in that time when like, and I'll give you, I'll give you this. I'm starting to get back to New York Knicks basketball after like a hey, very long welcome back. time. Welcome back. Welcome back. I was back. like, because I was like very, you know, but I grew up like, you know, back in the day and I was a Knicks fan and I was in Boston and, and just a big sports nut. And I decided to like um, comp, which would say you try out for the Crimson, the Harvard Crimson, um, which is a newspaper. And I became part of the sports department and I became the sports editor. And I covered Harvard hockey and I'm this Puerto Rican kid covering Harvard hockey. And they won the 1989 NCAA championship. Like the only like legit national championship in a major sport ever in the history of Harvard. And I was there in Minnesota. So I was just like Puerto Rican kid covering hockey, which I was like, what am I doing? But I went all over like, you know, New England and the ECAC. I'd go up to like St. Lawrence, Cornell. And so I really loved sports writing and i got a job um as the summer correspondent for the boston globe in 1989 hmm. so there's like there's like if you go if you really want to go deep there's like 60 bylines with my name with the boston globe which to me was like the best sports department in the world so when i graduated i was like oh man i'll just go work for the globe as a sports writer and so i was like doo, 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 doo. and they were like sorry kid like you gotta you know you gotta, uh, you gotta, you know, earn your, earn your, earn your badge. And I would, and I pitched, I remember this, I was 21 years old and I pitched them Boston Globe. And I said, you know, one day the Red Sox are going to have this huge Latino star who's like bilingual in Spanish and you're going to need huh. people like me to cover it. Right. They're like, what are you talking about? It's like 1990s. Like, what are you talking about? So I went back to like Puerto Rico and then I wound up in Orlando because my dad was living in Orlando. And I, I, I will tell you right now, I, I tried out, like, I, I didn't try, I interviewed with the Orlando Sentinel hmm. in like 1991. And I don't know why I said no, because, because they wanted me to be in the sports department, but Orlando in 1991 is, I mean, it was like, I, I was like, I cannot live in Orlando <laughs> in 1991. So I, I went back to Boston and that was stupid. 
because like, <laughs> like you know, Shaq and Penny showed up. Like, yeah, I know. Later. I was just about to say that. So the next two years. NBA. I know, so man. Anyway, <laughs> so I got over that quickly. And I actually went into educational publishing and, and took my bilingual roots and went into uh, textbooks. So I helped like uh, in the bilingual ed space. I edited and I wrote. And then like around, but I always like, I always love sports. I always love sports writing. I mean, when we talk about the story that I do for La Bodega, you know, that happened in 2004. Right. I'm a sports geek, man. You know, like I, you know, there's, if you really want to know, like I, I was a Yankees fan growing up and then I became a Red Sox fan, which is like, what the Whoa. hell? Yeah. If you, if, if, you, if you Google, listen, if you Google, uh, Google the Bronx Judas. Okay. The Bronx so there is a piece on NPR uh-huh. that explains how I became a Red Sox fan in the 90s. And it goes back to my original point from the Globe, the fact that I was like, there's going to be Latin, there's going to be like legit Latino stars showing up in Boston. And what happened? Nomar Garcia Parra, Pedro, and David Ortiz. Manny, Manny, Ramirez. Manny Ramirez. I was like in my late 20s. I was, um, I was, I was, I was, you know, I just got engaged. We were living in Brookline, Massachusetts, which was like, it was like a mile away from Fenway Park. Mm-hmm. My wife and I, I mean, I saw Pedro in his heyday, like in Fenway Park. And I would see like, you know, everyone knows about Fenway Park. It was like, there weren't a lot of Latinos and black fans back at the time. You know, no. you know that's why no. I bring up like the Bronx Judas. So like, so I explained that in, in the Bronx Judas, but when I started seeing Dominican flags, and I was and starting I was to starting get Presidente beer, beer was available. <laughs> in Boston? Yeah. In Boston, like in the late 90s. I'm like, damn, Boston's changing. And then I just became a Red Sox. And then how can you not be? Like then it was like, you know, 2000, you know, 2003, 2004, Big Poppy was like a legend. And I loved him because he was like this like Afro-Latino, Dominican, like black man who was like, own in this town. I mean, he owned this town. He still does. And then Manny, and then, and then we get to um, Alex Cora, all that stuff. But we can, you know, then then he cheated. But but you know, there's another. But but at the same time, I was in edu- educational publishing, and it was contracting. The industry was changing, and I I and I hate to like toss out the Harvard thing, but the reason why I said that is because when Facebook came out, because I had a Harvard email. Because I was one of the like the next tier of people that got Facebook invites in 2004, mm-hmm. and I was like, "What is this Facebook thing?" So I started like I joined Facebook early, I joined Twitter early, and I started like seeing. So I, what I started to do was like kind of going back to my journalism roots because like educational publishing, like the work that I was doing, there was a lot of contraction, a lot of layoffs, and I was like, you know, I had kids, I was in like my you know, late 30s, 30s early, 40s, early 40s, and I was like, what am I going to do with my life? Yeah. And, and so, so I kind of went back to journalism school through social media. media. So I started, so I started blogging, blogging, and I, and I, 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 I it's, it's funny, funny because when I was on Twitter, I think like 2009, I was, I was watching like the British Open, and like golf, I was watching golf in the summer, and I was on with my phone on Twitter, and I was starting to talk about Tom Watson, like, like the, who was like, like coming back, back and I was like, I was, like giving updates, updates on Twitter. On Twitter. Like, like I was I live tweeting like the boss, like the, like the British, British Open. Open. <laughs> and, and some, some dude, dude in some, some 
airport on Twitter was like, yo, keep the updates up because I can't find this. Like, I'm stuck at a gate. And then I was like, oh, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I see what you can do Twitter for. So I really love I, I really like gravitated to like social media and journalism and digital like journalism. I was blogging, kind of doing my thing on the side as I was trying to figure out what I want to do with my career. And then, and then like, like in 2011, and, um, I, I was, I, blog, you know, there's, I have a blog, you know, I, there's a blog and I was like, you know what, I don't, I just don't want to blog for me. There's, there's something big here, here. Cause I was writing about representation. I was writing about a lot of things. So I was watching the daily show with John Stewart. And I was like, I was like, damn, like that, he's a rebel. Yeah. But, like, yeah, like, besides Al Madrigal, Madrigal, who shows up once in a while, while. like, there's mm-hmm. no Latinos on this show. Mm-hmm. So then yeah. I was like, so I just wrote, like, Rebels and then Latino on a piece of paper. Like, true story. And I went to bed. And then I, I picked up the piece of paper the next day. Like, and I was like, what? wow, this is kind of like, this ain't a bad idea. Yeah. So I, so I bought the URL. And then I invited, like friends that I was like involved with like on the social side because you meet this community right once you're blogging and writing and I was just like you guys want to do this I mean you won't get paid but it'll be fun and so I mean you know I had to like manage it you know I still manage it I tried to so then latinorebels.com was born like in 2011 and I kept on getting like like CBS face the nation called me the next year and they're like we want you on our show to talk about latino voters i'm like i say what huh what are you talking about and so i kind of was like at that early time right that people like twitter was very different facebook was very different it was a little bit more like um it wasn't as noisy so you can really push through so i started seeing like there was an opportunity here and that led me to Getting an audition from on Twitter, I got a DM from the executive producer of Al Jazeera America's The Stream, and they wanted me to audition to be a digital producer. So I went down to DC in 2000 and uh, was it 13, 14? Yeah, 2013. And then I'm like part of the stream. I I get a job, and so I'm like I was like, I, and I was just an incredible newsroom of like. People from all over the world. There was maybe three white people on staff. That's like a rare. That's was like that's a yeah, rarity in a newsroom. Usually it's like, other way. Yeah, exactly. And it's a global. So I was like, Al Jazeera English is like just as big as anything, mm-hmm. any other out. So I was just hanging. So like people like Wajahad Ali, yeah, who I met back in time, um, Latoya Peterson, Femi Oke. I was like, this is so cool. Yeah. Like I found my. I want to do this. Yeah. And. I still kept doing Rebels. I actually had some really good friends who were like, let me take over a little bit of it. I was like, thank you, thank you. Hector Luis Alamo, I'll shout you out. Marlena Fitzpatrick, Shadis El Gadillo, they just were like, they were like, they were treating Rebels as like journalism school themselves. So so I was very thankful that they kind of helped me. And then next thing you know, Al Jazeera America just implodes. Like they spent way too much money. 2000, I lose my job. And I'm like, what do I do? And... Latoya Pearson, who was at Al Jazeera, knew AC Valdez at Futuro Media. He was the um, former senior editor of Latino USA. And they were looking for a digital director. 
at Futuro Media, and Latoya connected me to AC, and next thing you know, in like a week, I'm going down to Harlem. It's so funny. I drove down to Harlem, okay, on 125th, where Futuro Media is. Like, I'm like, I got to get this job interview. And, you know, you think you're from this. You think because I, I'm from the Bronx. I know where Harlem is. I, I remember 125th Street. Like, I used to hang out there. I used to, And you're like, you have no concept of the east side, west side with the number. Yeah. Right. I'm saying. Queens so, is like that, too. Yeah. So so for me, so when I drove down for the job interview, I'm looking for a garage on online. I go to Park Biz or whatever. And I park on the east side. Oh. Uh, like, like, damn. It's like, it's like really far away. And then I walk past like a White Castle. And I'm like. I'm gonna eat at White Castle first because it was like it's White Castle. I'm feeling like this is gonna end up being a bad idea, Julio. No, eating at White Castle know. first. I'm, I'm White Castle can go the wrong way, I'm brother. Can go the wrong way. We know it worked out at least. Yeah, the 20, yeah, the 24 hour White Castle, uh, like on 125th, and yeah. I walk in and I'm like, I haven't had White Castle in like eight years. So I keep walking. I I interview with Mariana Hosa and her team, and and she she comes in. I'll never forget that she's like. Bro, I can't believe I'm finally meeting you. And I'm like, say what? I'm like, I can't believe I'm finally meeting you. She's like, I love Latino Rebels. Like, kudos for you for creating that. And I was like, wow. And then they gave me a job on the spot to work on um, promoting their America by the Numbers PBS series. That it would have already started. So in two days, I was in Washington, D.C. working for Futuro Media. And then I became their digital director in 2015, started working on Latino USA. Um, again, Hector Luis Alamo was like, I'll, I'll help you with, you know, I'll help you with Latino Rebels. So we, so we kept it going because Maria was like, don't stop doing that. I'm like, yeah, but that is like a side hustle. She's like, it's cool. You can do the side hustle, but you work for us. And I'm like, oh my God. okay, which That's was really, up. which is, which is, was really like respect, right? Yeah. You know, so so I get to do things. I, I you know, I I really helped um, grow the audience uh, digitally. I'm really proud of the of how Latino USA grew. Um, we kind of got it growth. We had growth like, you know, when you look at our digital downloads from 2014 to like 2019, it was like we grew like by a thousand percent, which is like awesome. Wow, and we were like, and we were seeing something super special and great shows. You know. The team was just crushing it, you know, 24 hours in the bodega, um, dream nine. Um, I got to do the Bronx Judas. Like there was a, you know, we did a baseball one hour episode. There were so many great things that we did. Yeah. And then, and then around 2016, 17, you know, I was doing great, but I was like, what do I do with rebels? So I started talking to Futuro and be like, you know, and I start, and then I started doing in the thick. So I'm doing in the thick. Right, right. That's the sixteen. Five year anniversary just passed. I know, five years, right? Yeah. And then, like a, a year later, I'm like, "What do I do with Rebels? Like, it's kind of like my baby. It's like a love hate relationship. Where do we go with it?" And I started talking to Futuro and Maria and others, and they're like, "Why don't we just make it part of Futuro Media?" And oh. so, so they. <laughs> This is this is like it's a, this is like this is what white people say. They acquired me. <laughs> <laughs> they acquired me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. right. So, so it was kind of nice because all the blood, sweat, and tears. Like Futuro saw the fact that I, you know, I something special was created. So they actually were like, 
this is a value. Let us. So it became part officially part of Futuro Media. And then to me, it was like, I'm free right now. I can do mm. myself. Now I can right. do my thing. And then, you know, that led to um, Latino Rebels. Like, I still do Latino Rebels radio, which which in 2019 got a best multicultural like podcast nomination from iHeart. And I'm like, okay, like we, it's like pure independent like podcasting. Like we started Latino Rebels radio on Blog Talk Radio in 2014. Damn, Blog Talk taking it back on the phone, taking it back on the phone. Yeah, I remember that. Some are always looking for more sports content, and among the glut of sports media, some are looking for sports content that dives a bit deeper and doesn't just stick to sports. So check out Backpack Broadcasting's original long-form sports journalism series, Sideline Stories. The award-winning original series takes viewers directly into underrepresented communities within the world of sports. It's a series that goes beyond traditional sports reporting, like box scores and statistics, presenting exclusive stories that you won't find anywhere else. With a diverse group of correspondents, the series provides interviews and interesting stories around the world of sports, because there is so much beyond the game, and so much that occurs off the field or court that impacts each of us and the world we live in. Giving a voice to athletes, coaches, fans, and everyone involved in athletics, Sideline Stories looks to push sports storytelling further than ever before. It's a winner of the 2020 Independent Shorts Awards, and all episodes of Sideline Stories are available for viewing today on Backpack Broadcasting's YouTube channel and Facebook page. So, Julio, when, when I hear that whole story, and, you, and I'm glad because we love when we have journalists come on here and tell my the story. It's my origin story. My, I got to tell the origin your, story. No, because people need to know what can happen from doing your, your, done, your, your own thing, Julio. People need to know what can happen. But I have a question. I yeah, think go Brian's going to want to know, too. It's very interesting to me. You go back to the beginning of your story. You did all this. You have your Puerto Rican roots. You're in the Bronx. You go to Boston. Yo, and man. I find it very interesting that you did a lot of this stuff in Boston, around Harvard and all that. Yeah. And at the Boston Globe. I used to do work with some folks at the Boston Globe. Yeah. The fact that they told you no oh, to that opportunity... Don't get me started. It's a about... dumbass mistake on their part. Let's <laughs> yeah, just call don't it get what me it started is. on Boston media. Like I, I don't get me started on Boston. Let's media. get you started, please. Boston. So Boston. Let's talk about Boston sports media. Okay, that's, let's, let's that's go. where. Let's keep it real here. It is. I here's the thing. I've written for ESPN. Okay, I that's the other thing. I I've written for ESPN. I wrote pieces for ESPN about like Latinos and identity. And for me to not, you know, I, I love sports talk radio. I love it because it's like a distraction for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I just yeah. put it on and, you know, I literally would scream in, in like in my car when they would do these takes on like David Ortiz or oh. Pedro Martinez or like, Manny Ramirez, like, of course. Yeah. Manny Ramirez or even like Alex Cor. like they, they had no concept of like, of the cultural connection of of how many um, of how Latino how Latinos are in Boston, and I've been for a while, like Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, mm -hmm. and and so what's happened is like you really have in in Boston in sports media, you just have the typical like white boy, like sports talk radio, like they they all sound the same. The yep. only person who I you know the only black voice who I love, who I've had a you know. Well, I was like, how did you do this? Michael Holly. He's been Holly. doing it for yeah. he's been doing it forever. Mm -hmm. I have tons of respect for Michael because 
he has had to put up with so much crap. I'm sure. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you can't bring up race. I'm like, come on, you got, you know, in Boston, you bring up race. Come on, let's look at the history of this. Let's look at like <laughs> right. what it is. And, and, you know, I actually wrote a little like blurb for the Boston Globe magazine about the whiteness of Boston sports media. And I've kind of, I'm done. Like, I'm done trying to like <laughs> beg to be like, oh, I want, you know, I'm like, screw this. It's like, if it's like, I'm just going to do my thing. And you're going to eventually, you're going to call me up and you're going to be like, we need you, right? We need right. you. And, but it's so bad because, because it's, they know it, right? Yeah. They absolutely know it hmm. and they don't care. And that's, and a, that's it. That's the that's point. They, you don't don't they, they don't care. And they get away with not caring yeah. also. And the thing is, it's like, and this is the big thing that's, and everyone, and this is, and this is like total real, keep it real. I know I'm sure it's happening in New York and other parts of the country. So when you look at last year, right, after George Floyd, Black Lives, you know, this is a transformation. This is going to change everything. Okay. It's, it's not even a year since George mm -hmm. Floyd has been, was murdered. Yeah. And how much has really changed? I'm serious. Right. Nothing. Right? A lot no, of performance. A lot of performative bullshit. Yeah, That's like, and yeah. it was so interesting. You know, I, I sit here and I'm like, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, I watch soccer and I watch basketball, and and I watch games, and and like you don't see like it, it's become so performative that it's lost its power. Yeah. Right. And so, so it's almost so when when you try to challenge that you're seen as a threat, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm 51 years old, so you do reach a certain point in your life where you don't give enough, right? Yeah. And that's helped me at least get me through this, but, but it is not something that's going to change unless you create the lanes to change them. And I have, you know, I'm, I'm in a place of Futuro Media to be like, you know what? I'm editorial director now. Mm -hmm. My, I'm going to create these new lanes. I'm going to, with the team, we're going to do the best that we can for storytellers. If we can create jobs that pay with benefits that give like young journalists of color, like another alternative, then I'm doing my job. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Because you can't, because it's so easy to get boxed in, in all this. And, and I, and I have a lot of like, I, I'm very. I admire all the people that are trying to change within the system. Like Brian, you know, Brian. I've talked about, uh, you know, before. It's great. You know, we need people in different outlets, right? It, it, I'll tell you right now, it ain't really but, working. Though. I know, but I'm saying it's like you do need people. <laughs> but in the end, you don't. You realize that the power of media is really. You need to, like, that's why, you know, that's why I'm like, you look at Oprah, you look at LeBron. You look at like Magic Johnson, you know, those are the models, right? To me, it's like LeBron James, perfect example, is like, I'm not just going to be a basketball player. I'm going to be a mogul, right? So, and I'm going to give back, right? That's why. So, so I think we have to really look at these models of like, who are the people trying to change to create those lanes and how do we support them? I'm in a place now where, Maria and just as like, we trust you, do your thing. We got your back. It's like having that coach. It's like, I tell Maria, it's like, it's like, it's like having that coach or that owner who's like, 
you you're winning for us, right? I'm not going to I'm not messing up with a good thing. Right. And, and that's important. Leadership is important. It's like you don't want to you know what I mean? And so so I do yeah. think like that's another part of this. It's so frustrating. And, and and it's hard. It's hard because like, you know, I was writing for ESPN and I'm like, how many more pieces do I have to write for ESPN to become an ESPN contributor? Like how many more do you how many more do you need? I mean, when I wrote a piece for ESPN about why Roberto Clemente's number should be retired like three, four years ago, it went viral. Like freaking Kurt Schilling tweeted it out. Right. Like, Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling. Let's say that again. Kurt Schilling. Yes. He, he was like, yes, we, he deserves to be retired. I'm like, did Kurt Schilling just like tweet out? I'm like, he's like freaking racist. Like, <laughs> right, I, right. <laughs> not the ally you want, but you know. Yeah, I was yeah. like, I mean, you do these things and you're like, but then you realize, like, within the space, um, they only want a certain way, right? Mm. And I think, you know, I think in, I think what you're seeing, at least when we, we talk about journal and we talk about sports media, I do think you are starting to see some change, right, that, that's starting to reflect. But you don't see, you know, it's like I'm looking at March Madness right now. I mean, yeah, Greg Gumbel's, like, hosting. But, like – when you see Ernie Johnson, I love Ernie Johnson. I love Charles Barkley. I love Kenny Smith. I love Shaq. They're awesome. Yeah. But I sit here and I'm like, and I, and this has nothing to do against Ernie Johnson because I love Ernie Johnson. Right. But it's like, have you ever even thought of like trying to find someone? Like, why not C Web? Why not like someone else to be the host? Why does it have to be Ernie Johnson and three black dudes? Yeah. Can, you know. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's the form. That's the formula. The cookie cutter white dude, and then the the players. Go ahead, Brian. Go ahead. And, and usually, and usually, the black guys tend to be former athletes, which is exactly a problem, as opposed to like getting somebody like Dexter, for example. But another thing that I wanted to bring up that you actually brought up was this: the idea of like Maria being the good coach who just kind of lets you like do you or whatever. And you touched on sort of trying to change things from within. And as someone who's had experience trying to do that, it's something that like, it's very hard to get support on it, especially when you're a Latino who's kind of outspoken, who also, by the way, like doesn't speak fluent Spanish. So they'll be like, all right, you're, they, can't figure, they can't figure you out. Right. You know what I mean? They don't know what to do with you. Well, he's speaking English so well. Someone, someone, who's learning, someone who's learning Spanish, by the way. But this is a point that I made this week. It's like there's also a stigma. There's not just a stigma against like Latinos who speak Spanish yeah. so that they can just be on like, you know, certain outlets or whatever. Even the ones who speak English, they're like they're inclined to give the role to a white person who actually knows the language. And this is something that I faced in my career in a few different levels. And then just being able to get that support is something that's so rare. So it's great to hear that you have been able to get that at least. Well, yeah, a little bit or that, you know what yeah, I mean? I mean, I, this is the best part. It's like I used to cover hockey college hockey and my name was julio ricardo varela that's crazy in itself like, that's crazy about it, it was me and like <laughs> old white irish dudes in the press box and i'm yeah. sitting here going okay i i get it and i i so my thing is like why why are we put into a box why why are the ones that when we talk about sports why do we always have to talk about identity why are you asking you know i i would love to just break down the defenses as to why, you know, Loyola beat Illinois, you know, in, this, in an upset. You know what I mean? It's like, why, why 
can't we have those conversations? And I think that's also part of this is that you 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 do. It's exactly what you said. You have the cookie. What Dex said. You have the cookie cutter setup, right? Like, just take NBA coverage. Like, it's like it's a white host with three black like ex NBAers. Like ESPN does it. Like TBS does it. TNT. And and then you're just like. And so that's the formula. And how do you begin to change that? To me, is exactly what you know. What you are all doing is important, right? Because you will impact somebody, right? We're not on global, national platforms yet, but we're doing the work. We're doing the we're doing the heavy lifting now, because this country is changing, and this country is like going to be. You know, they're, we're challenging it all the time. So I tell this to a lot of people, especially like independent voices like yourselves, love what you do. You know, you're not in it to like, this is a long marathon. Like I've been doing it, you know, for me, I've been doing it for 13 years. And, you know, granted, I got a job like at Futuro, but I also am starting to see the fruits of that hard work being consistent because everyone gives up, right? You got to be consistent. You got to keep doing that damn podcast. And I know the both of you, because I've done it too. It's like, I got to do another one of these, (laughs) but you know what? You got people listening. You got your social. If you're engaging people like that, like what you're doing and you're being good to your listeners and respecting them and saying, you know, there's, you know, I sit here and I'm like, there's so many podcasts out there. Right. Just raise the bar. If you keep that bar raised, people will come and and do it with the right intentions. You know, you gotta love it, but at the same time, it's like sports. It's like, you know, I still play soccer, and I just played, you know, on Sunday morning, and I. It's the first time we were really out playing eleven v eleven since like October, and I'm like, God, I love the sport. Yeah. I don't care what I do. It's like, I, I cannot miss my Sunday mornings, no matter how busy I am with anything. I'm going to do it. So you have to have that love and you just have to just stay on it. Just be persistent. And you get the little victories, right? You just hit a lot of singles, right? The singles yeah. come. If you get in singles and walks and you're still on base, eventually you're going to score. Right. right. So, I like that. <laughs> I, I, I like that. Um, no, this, this is all good. We are always grateful when we get jewels as independent journalists and creators from people like yourself, just, just given that, and some of the stuff you said, like I needed to hear right now as an it's independent a, journalist and creator, need, like need I needed all, to we hear. We all need a boost, like yeah. especially in this pandemic. One of the things that I've learned, it's like we all need that boost. I need the boost. It's like, it's like if you're doing a good show, because you, especially now, we're not seeing each other. We're not physically seeing each other. It's really hard, mm-hmm. and it's just like you gotta. It, it, I it, every time I get like undone or i get like this imposter syndrome or i feel like god i gotta do this again it's that one little tweet it's that one message it's that one like hey i really read you like i read your piece thank you and i'm like i'm good that that love keeps you keeps you going i'm good i want to ask i want to ask you this because i've spoken to brian about this and being a a black man in america but i've been i've had the blessing and fortunate opportunity to watch uh, how my Latino brothers and sisters in journalism, how they've connected with Latino players, particularly in baseball or in the world of boxing. I've seen yeah. this. I used to do yeah. a lot of work with Marley Rivera, a good friend of mine. Oh, I love and, Marley. Like yeah. I, I, we did something, uh, 
I met her about three, four years ago in Las Vegas. She, we did our, we featured her on Latino USA. She's amazing. She's great. We've had, yeah, we've had she, her, we've her had on the podcast twice. Great I've person. known her a long time. She gave me a lot of opportunities to shoot for ESPN Deportes and do other things. Yeah. I want her specifically, and I've talked to her about this, but I wonder if it's the same for you, brother. I watched how players connected with her in baseball because, of, and I saw what she meant to the Latino community. Oh, yeah. I saw that. And I know what it means as a, as a black man to connect with black players that are from yeah. the same place or Caribbean players who are from the same place that I am. How, how have you felt that in now being at a place like Futuro Media, right? Yeah. How does it feel to see the fruits of that labor and that connection with your people and seeing it rise, especially oh, at this it, time? It's all, it's all that drives us. And, you know, and Marley's a beautiful example you know, I've seen her in action too. When she was like talking, like when she, we were we were interviewing her, she was getting calls from like players all over the country. She gets the tips because it's like you know the language, you know the culture, you know the vibe. They're gonna trust you. That's what I tell the globe back in the day. It's like you need to get a Latino like sports writer. They still don't have one to cover the Red Sox. You know, <laughs> I, I, there's a part of me that's like I'm in, infinitely proud. I wrote a piece on Cora. Again, before the cheating scandal, and I said, this guy's going to be a difference in Boston because he can talk to Rafi Devers. He can talk to, like, Christian Christian Vasquez. He can talk to, like, the, the young Caribbean players, right? And and it makes a difference. And then he followed me on Twitter. I'm like, oh, my God, Alex Carl followed me on Twitter. I'm good. Like, I am good. <laughs> right. Life it's, is good. You know what I mean? So I th- but I think that that's really important. For sourcing as a journalist, as as being able to like, it's a level of trust. It's a level of people who can come to us at Futuro and be like, you know what? They're not gonna screw over my story or my voice. I trust them, and that that's 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 years of building. And I think you know when you look at, you know, you saw me on my Twitter feed. If you've seen it recently, with the immigration debate, I'm I'm done. I'm done with like the way it's so simplistic. And people are losing like the historical roots of it, and it's become like sort of like the hot story of the of the week. And you have a lot of people that have no connections with the community just swooping on in. And it happens. It happens. You know, it happened with the Atlanta massacre right now. It happens with Black Lives Matter. It's like, and you know, and then you know, I I saw this. Sorry, but it was like I literally scream at televisions now. Like I use. Thank God I have Twitter because I see. You know, quote unquote experts talking about things, and it's it's perfect example. It's like I'm done with like white people talking about racism. Yeah, you know, like, I, I, I get yeah. off the table. You do not stop talking about it. Yeah, like you know what? I will say one perfect example, which I actually enjoyed, was I do watch Bill Maher for like. Research because I because it's mainstream. I, I want to create something. I'm I'm trying to create something with Warner Media right now. That's like a late night Latino leaning show. Okay, we need that. We need that. Yeah, so we need that. So I do a lot of you know. I watch Bill Maher. I watch the other things because I'm trying to figure out like what is it that we want to do. And about two like last month, he finally brought like a black guest, and it was Charlemagne the God, right? And they were talking about reparations, and it was like. It was like Charlemagne the God, Bill Maher, and Nick Kristoff of the New York Times. Hmm. And you see, like, the two white dudes just so uncomfortable <laughs> of, like, why are we even talking about reparations? And I will give Charlemagne the God all the credit in the world. He was like, 
you know what? You know nothing about this. Like, because you are not black. <laughs> Word. And sometimes and I, that's just what it is. And, I, and I'm like saying to myself, you know, why can't we just like admit it? Why can't Bill Maher just be like, you know what, Charlemagne to God? You're right. I'm not black. Tell me what I need to know. As opposed to like, you're dividing everybody. Like, he's just as bad as like a Trump supporter, man. Like, it's just like, it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, so we, we have to continue to push it. We can't be the only, you know, what I want is exactly here. It's like, one of the things we did in In the Thick, and I know this sounds, it's going to sound, people listen to this and be like, wow, you're racist. And I'm like, no, we decided, literally, true story, we were like starting In the Thick five years ago, and we're in the table, and I go, we cannot have white people guests. <laughs> how, 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 that sounds like some shit I would say. It and was. Like, and you know why? Because white people already have plenty of microphones. Right. No, I get it. I get yo. Look, Julio, I completely get it. <laughs> Brian said it. Now, that, does that mean people watch, who've watched and listened to our show? We have had white guests, and I will say most of our white guests, most of our white guests that we have, they are they would agree with us on that. They understand the politics, and they have been championing for underrepresented yeah. no, voices. They're, they're allies. I'm they're gonna... allies, and that's the reason they're they're, they're, they're there. But you have um, to make the club. You know what I'm saying? It's like. As much as like they bring me in, you know, when I get to talk on national television, it's like now representing every Latino in the world. Julio, <laughs> and you're like, what? So like, so I want to be like, so how do you, re- you know, now it's your turn to represent every white person, white person. in the world. Yeah, and, and we we and we know how exhausting that is. What's up, listeners and supporters of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast? We need some help from you, and it won't take up too much of your time. As we grow, we always want to hear your feedback, so take a minute or two to fill out a short anonymous survey. The survey link is right in the episode notes for this podcast. It's easy and takes less than five minutes. As always, we thank you for your continued support. One of the things that I find just perpetually discouraging, because you bring up the point about just watching TV and hearing white people talk about politics or whatever or or immigration and they don't know what they're talking about. It's the same way I feel about management in sports media companies and the people yeah. who are controlling these websites that we work at and things of that nature. And they're just not really forward thinking, don't really know what they're doing, don't want to take chances, don't want to create, don't want to allow their people to create, want to put people in boxes, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. going down the line. That's why I find places like Futuro Media being out there encouraging. And in a lot of these other places, in sports in particular, it's all yeah. about aggregation. How can we uh, spin breaking news into trendy stories to yeah. just increase our bottom line a little bit and become a little bit more profitable? How is it that you guys are able to, I guess, exist in this space, not caring about all that stuff, not needing to do all well, that? Well, we're stuff. not. Pro- but the good thing is, we're not profit, right? Right, right. and and as that a nonprofit. Helps. Yeah, that so, helps, you know, and I think like if you're mission driven, that if you if you say like our mission is to, you know, amplify and inform our community and we're close to our community and we we want to deal with like the good things of our community and the bad things of our community, because like, you know, I sit here and, you know, even when you talk about last year, Black Lives Matter and and I sit here, it's like at Rebels. We were one of the first, you know, we were a Latino outlet covering Trayvon when, yeah. when, when, yeah. when, you know, and, and we would get emails from people be like, 
why are you covering why are you talking about black issues? And I'm like, okay, hold up for a second. Like, let's look at your anti-blackness for your little because yes. like, right, right, you know, right. it's like because <laughs> if we really want to talk about erasure of Afro-Latinos, we can have that conversation. Yes. Right. And, and and so so for me, that's just as important. It's like you have to you have you were close to the community, right? And I even feel right now, as you see, like, you know, Latinos, you starting to see sort of another resurgence in in sort of like like the next, you know, people remember like the late 90s with Ricky Martin and Selena and all that. That was kind of like the Latinos are taking over. And I and I'm starting to see again, sort of like, especially in the digital space, sort of a next wave of this. Bad Bunny. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. And, I, and I'm television, uh, champion, not television, 24 seven champion. Yeah. But I'm still <laughs> concerned that what we're not doing as a community is, um, not addressing anti-blackness right and in in the latino community and i think like it all starts in a lot of ways and we talked about this brian when we were talking on your piece yeah is that you don't see afro-latino athletes really speaking out about racial and social justice because in their in their worlds like you're not supposed to talk about that right mm -hmm. when in fact you i and anyone or if you're, if you're from the caribbean or if you're from like any part of latin america it's like you know, I'll take Puerto Rico, for example. Sure. I mean, Puerto Rico's segregated. Yeah. Right? Like, black Dominicans are the cheap labor. Right? You go to places like Loisa, and that's where all the black people live. Right? So you look at that, yeah. and this whole notion of, oh, well, you know, Puerto Ricans, we're racially mixed, and we're, like, multicultural, and, and blah, 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 blah. That's like, that's BS. You know, yeah. there, you go to San Juan and like people in power in San Juan are just like, you know, there's a lot of people I went to school with who look like me who are in power. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we have to do better in addressing that. I do think sports is a possibility. And I was really like, I would say disappointed, but I haven't seen, I'm talking like major, it's like, I haven't seen like Big Poppy really speak out right against like you know defund the police. Yeah. Um, I when I talked to Roberto Clemente's son when I wrote a piece last last year about like I wrote this piece to be like what would Roberto Clemente do now? What would he say now? Right. And I kind of looked at all these things, and when I asked his son, like he was kind of a little bit like you don't want to rock the boat. So which I think is, like which is standard in our culture. Exactly, and it, it's not only standard in our culture, but I also think like in sports. In general, and if you think about it, right? If you look, let, take baseball for example, because that's probably the best example. Where do these players come from? You know, they're generally come from like, I mean, I think I think Jose Bautista is the only like middle class Dominican I know who came into MLB. Like these are you know, these are young, mostly Afro Latino kids who are coming from poverty, who get like exploited by these baseball academies. Who then like finally make it? They don't want to rock the boat. I get that. I I truly get that. But at the same time, when you have close to thirty percent of Latino ball players right now, yeah, and there are more Latino ball players, and and you know who have that Latino ethnicity. But I mean, there are more. There's plenty of Black Latinos, but there's no like black Americans, you know, African Americans, the number of Af African Americans in baseball is, is smaller. Yeah. Yep. 
So then who's speaking out, right? Who is speaking out? So that's what Dex is, you know, for me, you saw, you remember this Dex? I don't know if you remember this opening day last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was like a BLM like yeah. on the mound, which yep. was just like M- yep. with the MLB thing. And it was like, yep. wait a minute. You literally took MLB and turned it to BLM Hello. and put the, and put the baseball logo on Hello. it. Yep. <laughs> that's what you're doing. Like really like this, like, like the, I don't want to call it the whitest of whitest sports, but the sports that have upheld a lot of American traditions, let's say that haven't been so progressive. Uh, th- yeah. Then you did that. It was kind of like, really? What? That's, that's, that's kind of what yeah. it is. Like, oh, yeah. And then you look at the NBA, which I think has done a more decent job. Although the, 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 the league for me is the, the, the WNBA, like they're, yes. they were just yeah, like, yeah. Yep. you know, and, but you know, that's, it gets to women, you know, women don't have the access in sports media yeah. and you know, that's, you know, Look at what just happened in the NCAAs with yeah, the weight. With the weight room. It's ridiculous. Point, yeah. Which is like ridiculous. So you're like, so yeah, you know, sports media in the United States is mostly run by like white men. And the very few people that can break through that are the exceptions. And there's still so much work to do, especially when you have, you know, football basketball and baseball mm-hmm. are are sports that are predominantly you know black and i'm like black latinos i mean look at look at tatis look at look at the players look Ronald at the latino yeah who are the stars yeah Rindo, you know uh you know uh who's the shortstop for um for the mets now uh, lindor lindor, lindor right. right yeah so you start looking at those guys and you're like manny ramirez was a black Latino, yeah. black Dominican. Pedro Martinez was a black Dominican. Let's be real here. Like, and and I think that's the problem. So, like, someone like Big Poppy, like, I I, I just sit here and I'm like, come on, David, put two yeah. teams together, bro. Yeah. Like, you, you you could be this leader, but he's but that's you know he's the company man. He's you know you're not. Mm. So I I'm I'm like I think about this a lot because I do think. It's something that, um, you know, I, I go back to Puerto Rico and I'm like, who's the greatest athlete ever in the history of Puerto Rico? Probably the greatest Puerto Rican admired right now is Roberto Clemente. Yeah. Who, who would say, I'm Puerto Rican, but I'm also black. Black, right. In the yeah. 60s, right? And I do wonder, I really do wonder, because he left us so early. Yeah. If if he would be if he was going to be the one that would at least begin to like put that two and two together, we'll never know because right. you know, he left us too early. So I think about this all the time, gentlemen. So no, I'm really glad you bring it up. No, no, it's definitely something to talk about. Well, let's, we want to get to some before we get to, you get out of here. We want to get yeah, some yeah, yeah. quick quick sports stuff with you. We've been talking sports, but just more into it. Yeah, important. There's an important day in Puerto Rican sports history. That yeah. is August fifteenth, two thousand and four. If you if you know you know if you're yes. into Olympic basketball you know Brian is smiling if you're watching this you see the picture behind him you know you've wrote about this uh, Julio how for me I don't think I think I saw it for my Puerto Rican brothers and sisters who are friends but I'm not Puerto Rican so I don't even understand as much as how it means to me I saw the energy. How big was that day for you guys oh, God, in defeating years ago, right? 17 years ago? Uh, defeating defeating the United States. Me and my dad were going States, crazy. Yeah. Defeating <laughs> the United States was a 92 to 73. Yeah. Uh, dream LeBron, Team 4. I think it was Dream Team 4. So it was like, look, four. 
So it was like AI, Duncan. Dwayne Wade, Duncan, Carmelo Anthony. Rookie uh, LeBron. Yeah, little on that baby team. LeBron. LeBron was like just – it's like it was LeBron James 17 right. years ago. Mark um, Mar- Yeah, there was just so many guys. I think, you know, it was like um, – yeah, for people that know, they were – Puerto Rico was the first team to defeat the U.S. Dream Team, a U.S. Dream Team in Olympic play since – the 1992 Barcelona Olympics, which is to me, you know, that was the, the OG dream team. Um, and they had not lost. I think it was like, they were on a 16 game winning streak. And if you remember that, remember the time, remember like, remember like they lost <laughs> like in some yeah. will games or whatever. Yeah. And, and it was like, and also they're like, okay, we're with the college players. Let's go. And then it was like Ewing and bird and like magic. And I, you know, it's like, I was like, and Jordan, I was like Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, right. John Stockton. You're like, okay, they. I think this is like it was boring. Like you know what I'm saying? It yeah. was like that was so they were the thing. So we so I had a great opportunity to to report on this story for uh, a seven part series that we did with uh, Futuro Studios did with WNYC called La Brega, which is I the struggle, the hustle. Um, so I got to do. Uh, a piece in English and a piece in a piece in Spanish about this, not only about the game, but which I love even more was like how Puerto Rican basketball started in like the the legacy of Puerto Rican basketball actually had its roots with the New Yorkans, again yes. mostly black New Yorkans who were recruit who were playing you know in in the city playgrounds of, yep. of New York City in the 60s and the 70s, you know, the families that had left Puerto Rico in the 40s and the 50s, these were their kids, and they were picking up the game. And then Puerto Rican coaches, professional coaches, and, and national team coaches would literally fly up to New York and recruit them, and they brought them back in the 70s. And it was like this era. There's a great documentary of New York and basket, um, if you mm-hmm. really want to break it down about that time. And what yeah. was cool about it, so the way we set the, up the story is that the 1979 Pan American Games, I was 10 years old, I was in Puerto Rico, and it was kind of like the mini Olympics. For, it was like, oh my God, Puerto Rico's hosting the Pan Am Games, which is basically like all of Latin America, right? It's And the United States and Canada. Right. And, and Puerto Rico had a really good team, yeah. right? Really good team, like Raymond Dalmau. Was Butch Lee on this team? No, Butch Lee oh, was only 76. Okay. So Butch Lee, and, 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 and even though they were college, Butch Lee, who used to play Marquette, they almost beat the Americans in Canada in 1976 in the Olympics. But that's this all college docu- There's a short documentary on yeah. him, too. Which I love, because that was my first real memory. Like, I, I used to, I grew up to Puerto Rican basketball. That was my first real concrete memory of the national team, when we almost beat the Americans in Canada. Right. So, so in 79... They had to play like Bobby Knight and like Kevin McHale <laughs> and Isaiah Thomas in Puerto Rico in the Estadio uh, Roberto Clemente Coliseo, which was like, I mean, how do I describe it? It's like the old Boston Garden, right? That mm. the place was rocking. A lot of boxing um, fans there later. Yeah, on. but it was like that's that was like the home court. Mm-hmm. And Bobby Knight, man, was an asshole. What a shot. You what told the story, Julio, on La Brega. I didn't, I never heard it before. So, no, so there's a really great piece uh, in Sports Illustrated and also, I believe, in the Washington Post about how much of a 
D D. You can say Bobby, it. Yeah, I know. He was a dick. Like how much of a racist dick Bobby Knight was. So for people that don't know, he he was he got really upset that they were they were practicing, and one of the Puerto Rican cops said that you know you got to move guys. I believe it was like the Brazilian women's team had to take over the practice. He's like we're not leaving, and you know he called them the N word, according to the cop. Yeah. And you know, who's gonna who's gonna admit that? And I, you know, it was pre-social media, right? Yeah. But, but like, come on, you think this guy's making that up? You know what I'm saying? No, I and, no, I do not. I do you know not. what I'm saying? It's like Bobby Knight. And if you look at the history of Bobby Knight, I don't think Bobby. Right. Knight I was gonna that. say that. <laughs> so so basically, that final game was like the U.S. against Puerto Rico, and in the end, Isaiah Thomas just took it over. I mean, there there's some original clips from YouTube that you're like, oh my god, this guy's gonna be a player. It was I, I he was in Indiana, right? And, and and so Bobby, everyone hated Bobby Knight, and supposedly, and this is also that was reported when they were leaving Puerto Rico on the plane, he dropped his pants and mooned Puerto Rico, right? Like right. he put his he put his ass against the window and it's like, see, wow. it's so ugly American, like people he. Nobody liked Bobby Knight. He was like a villain, right? Yeah. So fast forward. So a lot of these, you know, these New Yorkian players who came back from Puerto Rico and like just became legends. And which I love about it is because when you say you, you know, Puerto Rican calls you, you know, Puerto Rican on the island calls you a New Yorkian on the mainland. It's almost like a pejorative, right? Yeah. It's like an insult. So this is like, oh yeah, all right. Well, we're changing basketball. So that next generation grew up to these guys. So then when you start seeing like Piculín Ortiz and Carlos Arroyo and Bobby Ayuso, you know, it, from the 90s up to 2004, Puerto Rico was really good. Like they, they finished fourth in the world yeah. championship in 1994. Yeah. Right. And, and, and there's legit basketball teams. You talk, you know, there's some, you know, basketball, international basketball at the time was, was really good. So fast forward to 2004, we do this piece about, Puerto Rico defeating the United States, and not only defeating the United States, they kicked their ass. They kicked their ass. Nineteen point victory, kicked their ass. It wasn't even right. I mean, it, the, the way we tell it, I mean, there was a point in the fourth quarter where you're like, "Uh oh, they're coming back." And LeBron James, I'm like, LeBron James of all people is like making threes. I'm like, who is this guy? And <laughs> and it leads to sort of this moment of like real pride. We talked to like one of the coaches. We talked to. Uh, one of the players, uh, Rolando Rutina, and just try to recreate that time. And one of the cool things about what I did in the in the podcast was I got to watch the game again on YouTube, and they recorded me. So I got to relive the game, and I'm like, because the game started really tight, and then all of a sudden we're going on this run in the second quarter where, I mean, it was like, it was like a blitzkrieg. Like the United States did not know what was coming. They couldn't shoot, and and Carlos Arroyo, who was a point guard, who at the time was playing for the Utah Jazz. Are you going to talk? I hope you're going to talk about my favorite moment in that game. Oh, when what he, when he, what he did to Iverson? Oh, no. Like, I was going to talk about the, the one he did to Iverson. He crosses oh, Iverson, Iverson was, and steps yeah, back for the three. Iver, yeah, he, he got knocked. Like, like, he just made people look silly. And then yes, I think he, he got into a shouting match with, like, I think, like, he was trash talk after he made this free throw. He was trash talk. And I think it was with Dwayne Wade or something yes. after he was fouled and it kind of put the game away. Yeah. And he just turns around. And that's where the famous picture is. He just turns around and he just pulls his jersey. And he's like, yo, this is where I'm from. And it was like, I mean, come on. I mean, it's playground. It's trash talking. 
the picture is amazing. There's a close-up picture, but then I found someone sent me a, a picture with the crowd behind it, right? Yeah. And I never had seen that picture. And in the bottom right, there's this like old dude, and he looks like he's an Olympic official when Carlos Arroyo is sticking out his jersey, and he looks so upset. I was like, did you have money on the game? Are you an Olympic official because of sportsmanship? Like, what's up? Like, why are you so angry at, at Carlos Arroyo? And I'm like, and I'm already like, I want to do a story about that. So it was really, you know, they we, we talk about the next day when they get a standing ovation in the Olympic Village yeah. and just what it is to be a Puerto Rican and what it meant and even try to put it in the context of, of today. And so to me, you know, like I said, to start this is like, I've always loved sports. I've loved sports writing. I've, I've want, I wanted to be the next Mike Lupica for the New York Daily News when I was 11. And just to be able to do a story the way I wanted to do it, shout out to my producer, Marlon Bishop, Mark Balan, and Ezequiel, um, who did the, we did the Spanish version. And to be able, this is what Futuro Media is all about. I was able to tell that story the way I wanted to tell it, and nobody told me how I had, how I had to tell it. It was yeah. my story, and I had a really amazing production team. The archival footage, like the footage and the, the audio, they found things from like, like basketball announcers in the late 70s in Puerto Rico that I remember watching, and when they played them for me, I was like, oh my God, you just brought me back to like yeah. when I was 10, right? So it's really good. I'm so proud of it, and people are getting a lot of really good reaction to it, and it's kind of like what I said. It's like create your own lanes. Like I was able to create a lane to tell a story that I love so much, and it hits home. And I love the fact that, you know, basketball is universal, so they get it. You know, so it's not just a Puerto Rican story. It's a, it's a really good sports story that has not been told in podcast form, and I'm glad that we did it. You know, like I said, it's like it could have been a 30 for 30. So, you know, yeah, we couldn't get I it for 30 for 30. And I want to, you know, so I was like, okay, we can't get it for 30 for 30. Let's do it ourselves. Let's do it ourselves. Yeah. There you, you know, go. No, that's what we did. I, I, yeah. I, I, I want to ask real quick. I just have a real quick question for both yeah, of, yeah, both yeah, of you. Good. I want both of you to answer this. Brian. Okay. Well, you asked Brian you. first. Brian first, because you guys are of different ages, right? Yeah. And when you look at that, I think some people will know, they know, well, this will lead into our next, our last topic we'll talk about. But yeah. Puerto Rico being, uh, well, some people will say col- Commonwealth. But considering I'm from the Caribbean and the country I'm from was under uh, British rule, I call it a colonialism. And, yeah, which, I, and you and you rightly so. Yeah, because it's it, right. It, it's yeah. what it, it's what it is, right? Yeah. So I, I want to ask you, Brian, first. Yeah. What there had to be some pride knowing that Puerto Rico competes as their own nation as they should. Yeah, absolutely. In, in this stuff, did, did you did you have that pride going to this? Like, hey, look, this is my country, my people. This team, we're not we're not tied to the U.S. We don't look ourselves tied to the U.S. There, there had to be that sense of pride, right, B? When I still watch them compete, whether it's the World Baseball Classic, the FIBA World Cup, and basketball, I, I yeah. still root for them over America. You know what I mean? Like I'm not I'm not like proud to be from here often. You know what I, I mean? It. I get it. I given, get it. Just given like you know we talked about all the shit that happens here, but I still find myself hoping that. Andre Curbelo could be the next Carlos Arroyo, you know, to sort of bring, help bring them back. You know what I mean? I find myself wanting the next Miguel Cotto, who, by the way, you talked about, you know, Northeast Latinos. He was actually born in Providence before moving to Puerto Rico. Right. Um, like, 
I find myself still seeking out those athletes because that's that's also a very Puerto Rican thing. Like that's something that's handed down from my father, where we're like we're watching a boxing card. Any boxing card, who's the Puerto Rican here that we could root for? That's something that we do all the time. Baseball players uh, and with basketball players now that you started to see more and more. And we also find ourselves like, yo, I wish that some of these dudes who are like half Puerto Rican in the NBA, like Jonathan Isaac, will compete for the Puerto Rican national team. Or Carmelo Anthony never competed. Like Carmelo Anthony was on the dream team. And, you know, he has a Puerto Rican flag as a tattoo. And I'm like, Melo, man, you should have played for us. He had an interview actually recently on Adrian Wojnarowski's podcast. Yeah, and he talked he talked about that game, and he said that he had mixed feelings because one, they were getting their ass kicked, but two, he saw people having a party in the stands, and he was like, <laughs> "Damn, I kind I kind of wish I could be with them partying also." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I yeah. To play off of Brian's point, it's absolutely true. Like you know, I grew up. I gotta thank like my abuelo and my dad for raising me like a, as a Puerto Rican sports fan. And, um, you know, Roberto Clemente to me, you know, I, that was my first baseball Jersey, you know, when I was like four, you know, that's, you know, it's ingrained in you. And, and my dad used to played in the second tier. He didn't play in the, in the first professional tier, but he got to the second tier as a guard in Puerto Rico playing basketball in the sixties. So, and, and also my abuelo was a big baseball fan and he told me all these amazing stories about the winter league and who would play like he saw satchel page pitch and and willie may so like you know i just grew up in that that world where i get these stories so so when my folks split and i moved to the bronx and like in the the late 70s it's exactly what brian's saying i would actively search for like the puerto rican athletes like like six Lescano. I was like, okay, he plays for the Brewers. All right, let's go. Like right. Eddie, Eddie Figueroa, who's pitching for the for the Yankees. Um, you know, I was a huge Wilfredo Benitez like yeah. oh, wow. fan. And like so when he lost to Sugar Ray Leonard, I cried. You know what I'm saying? Like I was like, why are you beating up, you know, Wilfredo Gomez? You know, that it's was like me when Felix Trinidad lost to Bernard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I I always root for the Puerto Ricans. Like I don't yeah. care what you say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so so it is very different. And to the point that I've never rooted for the only American team I root for, which is like, it's just, I think it's just because I love soccer. I, I do love the U S soccer team, which, which I know Puerto Rico has a soccer team, but it's not that good. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so it's like, <laughs> if they get better, I might be like, okay. Um, but you know, Brian brings up the world baseball classic that I, I, I think the world baseball classic, to be honest with you is perhaps you know, was one of the coolest tournaments. It still is that so underrated. Um, Americans make fun of it. Like, screw you. Like, because, because I actually, the last time I was in Puerto Rico, um, for the last world baseball classic, I was down there Yeah. and everyone was watching it. Like that was the thing at night. Like you, you walk into any bar, any restaurant, you're watching it and it, it captured it. So even in the DR, or even like in places like outside of like the United States, the World Baseball Classic like meant a lot. So I, it's just so like it's like the Bobby Knight theory. It's like stop making fun of the World Baseball Classic. I loved it, I, and I love the last run. Um, although I now think they might have cheated. You know, Alex Cora was on the bench, and I'm, I still got you know I have mixed Alex Alex Cora feelings <laughs> that I have to come to terms with. Understood. <laughs> Understood. Hoping he can DM me. Yo, Alex Cora hit me up, but at the time, you know, 
But then, but then I get like really weird because like, why do you dye your hair blonde? <laughs> like, it's like, why do we have to dye our hair blonde? It's like, this is exactly what I mean about like anti-blackness in Puerto Rico. It's like, why are you doing this? Do we have to have blonde hair? Like, seriously, does that make us like better? Anyway, mm-hmm. sorry. That, that, so, no, 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 no. That's that, 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 that point. And to that point that we were just making, Dex, you remember how excited I was when the mess got Francisco Lindor. Of course, oh, yeah. and I, I love Lindor. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. I love Correa. I love. I mean, I love the. I mean, you give me Javi Baez any day. Like the the great. You know, I love him. I mean, if any of them went to the Red Sox, I would be like, let's go, Cora. Let's make this happen. Bring all the Puerto Ricans. But like Lindor, there's this great. You know, from the World Baseball Classic, it's my favorite moment of Javi Baez when Molina like. They throw someone out at second base, and he's already like, "I got you." Like he even like he's not even tagging him yet, and he's already like, "You're out." Like he's like, "You're not gonna be like catch it." It's a great gif. I, I use it all the time. A great meme. So I love I love the fact that a lot of the Puerto Rican players are like doing really well now. Yeah, no, I, I love to see that, and so that kind of ties into the last thing we'll talk about, right? One of yeah. the big one of the big topics that's going on now, especially for a lot of uh, Puerto Ricans and Puerto Rican Americans. Here in the state is Puerto Rican statehood. I I okay. called I called I called it, and you agreed with me. I called it what it is. It's it's colonialism, um, in terms oh, yeah. of of the U.S. involvement with Puerto Rico. Now was it fifty? It was like fifty five point two percent of uh people on Puerto Rican mainland voted for they they're in favor. Fifty two. Sorry, fifty two. The question was the question was, do you want Puerto Rico to immediately become a state of the union? Like it was a very like. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of a leading question to that, which I can. Yes. You know, I don't want really to get too geeky here, but, 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 <laughs> but, but, officially, 52% of people said yes, 48% of people said no. Where do where I guess so? My question to that would be somebody who's who's uh, from Puerto Rico, and yeah. also does a lot talking about uh, the issues around there, and there have been yeah. some representatives here in the states pushing for. Puerto Rico uh, to have statehood. Where do you stand on that? And do you think it'll happen? What do you think? You're, you're smiling now, which means you feel like, Dexter, this is, <laughs> this is more complicated than you probably realize. Break it down no, for me. Like, break it down. I like break it. it down. I like it, Dexter. Yeah. So, so the only thing I will say about my position publicly, um, and I've been covering this issue for, for years, and one of the things that people need to understand about Puerto Ricans is like, we we might be for one thing like, one time and another thing another time and then your cousin's a statehooder and then your dad's not and then your uncle's like whatever so like we live this right but it's all about but i think it's also what you're saying dex it's like when you've been a colony for so long you get that insular colonial mentality that you can't even think right and it gets i i you know i i'm very vocal about that and and you know i think a lot of people um I think we need to do more as Puerto Ricans to kind of admit that, you know, once a colony, always a colony. We've been a colony for like, you know, more than 500, 600, you know, <laughs> for a while now, since like right. 1492. Right. You know what I mean? So like, let's 1493, right? So let's just be real. So with that said, you know, I do think the biggest question I have, and I actually wrote a piece in the Washington Post about this. So this is the way I will frame it because um, if statehood in the, in, when Puerto Rico on the island was such a slam dunk, right? Where is everyone demonstrating? Where, you know, you know, the other thing is like, if people call it a civil rights issue, this is what I have another issue with the Puerto Rican statehood 
advocates who say it's a civil rights issue, like the civil rights movement. I'm like, dude, this is, you know, you don't even understand the history of the civil rights movement. Like it's not Rosa Parks getting on a, on a bus and then Martin Luther King. It was like, it was civil disobedience. It was violent. It was like, it was disruptive. It was seen as radical, you know, like, what are you doing? What are you doing to prove that this is something that you want? So, 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 to, to say, I think it's, I think it's very easy for like American media to simplify any damn issue, right? Because they're good at that, right? They, you know, American news media is like sports media. They can't, you know, they can only look at the score, right? You can't look at the, you can't look at the history like colonialism. What are you talking about? What, you know, so you hear like, oh, Puerto Ricans are American citizens. Yes. Yes. People that live in the island are American citizens. I think what this comes down to in the end is how much do Puerto Ricans value their American passport? Hmm. You know, when push comes to shove, it's like, do you want to be associated with the United States or do you not? And what's the problem right now is that these votes have been run by the pro-statehood party. So I wouldn't say like the, it's like, it's like if, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example. It's like, it's like if you have like sports betting in Vegas being like, we're going to ask everyone in Vegas if sports betting is valuable yeah. in Vegas. Well, well, you, what, do you, what do you think they're going to say? Yeah, right. right. <laughs> question to whether they right. say yes. Right. It's beneficial to their economy. Of course exactly. they're going to say yes. So my right. thing is, it's like what the, what the statehood movement needs to do in Puerto Rico is like, call everyone on the bluff. If you think this is a slam dunk, then call everyone on the bluff. Work with your opponents. Do something to prove this. Because what's happening now is that you have, like, another movement, a self-determination movement that says it's got to be more inclusive. There's got to be a vote that looks at every option. And last time I checked, they got more sponsors. They got, like, bigger senators. You got people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren behind it. You got AOC behind it. Yep. And what's And the problem in all this is Puerto Ricans can't... We're still like, um, we, we can't get along, right? It's a typical yeah. like diaspora island debate uh, that's like, well, you're not here anymore, so you can't say anything. Or right. you've, you've forgotten your roots. And I'm sitting here going, yeah, but not everyone who left Puerto Rico left willingly. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like, right. you know, and then I kind of go back. I'm like, look what we do, you know. We beat the Americans in basketball because we brought New York, you know, because New Yorkans created the Came foundation back. of right. basketball. Right. So why can't we begin to look at this a little bit more holistically? So mm. what you're starting to see is, at least from the reporting that I do, is that there there is sort of this like bubbling of like the way this debate has been going on for 50 years just hasn't really worked. And you're starting to see people who are like, you know what, we got to look at this differently. So. That gives me a little hope, although I try to avoid Twitter when I bring this up. Um, well, Brian, Brian, can speak, Brian can speak for me because – but I'm already like, – like I said, I don't care anymore. So I'm kind of like, you know what? I love Puerto Rico. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to write about it. This is where I come from. And you know, people aren't going to give it the respect that it is, and I'm going to create that lane and create it. And I've been able to do it, and people come to me and ask me questions. And if that gets you more interested in learning more about it, then my job is done. And that's and that's beautiful. We want people to be more interested in learning about it. Yeah, Ooh, we we know you have to run. You've given us a ton of time. 
Um, this is great. You got to come back because Let's there's so much more to talk about uh, that we don't get to in terms of, like this. There's so sure. much I want to ask you about Roberto Clemente I'm to down. the World Baseball Classic. We got to do it again. We thank and you. And then I'll, sure. get you guys, I'll get you guys on my show. That'll be great. That'll we'll, be great. We'll, we'll do Latino we'll be, Rebels one day. We'd be more than honored, be honored to do it. Uh, that is Julio Ricardo Varela. Again, he is the editorial director of Futuro Media, also the founder of Latin Rebels and the co-host of the In The Thick podcast. This is episode 171 of the A Heart Cell podcast. We thank everybody for listening, their continued support. Go give Julio a follow. Go check out his work, A La Brega, uh, the Basketball Warriors episode about Puerto Rican basketball. Please check that all out. It's all great. And we're going to have Julio back. Thank you, Julio. We appreciate you, man. Peace, y'all. Until next time, everybody. Peace. Peace.